The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Gawler. Hi, welcome to the show today. It's Grace Gawler here and we're navigating the cancer maze for another week. And this week I'd like to uh, focus on a couple of things. We've called the show today Sorting the Wheat from the Chaff, the often empty promise of cancer cures. So we're going to talk a little bit about this and uh, what actually happens with patients when you're promised the cure and when it doesn't eventuate. And uh, I think we can learn a lot from that. We're also going to have a, a look today a little more in depth at uh, some of the dietary approaches because when we're talking about and navigating the cancer maze in, in terms of cures, one of the things that people often move towards because of perhaps the internet today um, is the move towards changing a diet. So we're actually going to take a look at the process of change and uh, we're going to take a look at one particular style of diet in depth, which I've chosen for a very particular reason today. And that's going to focus actually on gluten intolerance and um, celiac because of the number of patients, increasing number of patients actually, that I've seen over the years uh, who are turning up with cancer and concurrently either have a celiac problem diagnosed or are certainly gluten intolerant. So we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, it's all a matter of choice and it's all a matter of being well informed. But in doing a little bit of um, research for this morning's show, it's not surprising that there's so much contention and there's so much confusion about uh, what to do in terms of um, cancer and in particular curing cancer. So I had a little wee look on um, Google mm, about five minutes ago actually to just see what the latest was and actually typed in promise of cures cancer and in 20.2 seconds actually, it wasn't 20 seconds, in 0.2 seconds it came up with 18 million results. Then I put in curing cancer and I got 6,810,000 results in 0.17 seconds. On the page came up an amazing amount of information um, on both pages. I had a bit of a play around with those titles. And when you see what's out there and what's available, 
for patients who are really desperately looking for the cure. I think there's a couple of reasons today why that's happening. And uh, one is probably some inefficiencies and um, inconsistencies in medical practice. Now, I'm, I'm quite an advocate for conventional uh, medical treatment for cancer patients in combination with complementary, and uh, it's quite a theme that runs through this show. However, um, I think what's really needed, we've called it a medical makeover for cancer here in Australia. And uh, that medical makeover really involves more of the patient being a part of the consultation, um, a patient being more a part of, uh, in fact, their, their whole way of the, which, um, which they're treated in. And... Um, when I speak to patients, and I've probably had contact with more than a 100 patients um, since we last spoke here on navigating the cancer maze, and I'd say a good maybe 60 or 70% of those patients have reported a negative experience in seeking conventional medicine. It's not just related to uh, Australia and uh, the US. I have had correspondences from New Zealand, from Turkey, from Jordan, from Iran, from the UK, from Ireland, um, all people really wanting to navigate the cancer maze, but really having a lot of problems in the conventional end of things. So it's not surprising when we have that sort of situation um, that people are going to turn to the internet and for looking up, as I have this morning, um, the sorts of cures that are out there and uh, promised. I think the other thing too with the uh, medical profession is there could be a great improvement in that makeover in the way that um, cancer patients are communicated to and informed about what's going on for them. I think uh, when patients mostly walk out of the office, we've talked about this a lot on the show, there is PTSD, uh, they're in trauma, they're not hearing well and uh, they do feel that their life is threatened so that they're straight off to the internet. Um, some things there may not cause too much harm but a number of things that are actually listed on the internet in the terms of cures, if someone was to uh, avoid having any conventional medicine and just do a lot of these treatments alone, they're going to be very disappointed. And um, that area of disappointment and failure and hopelessness is uh, something that's very big for cancer patients because when we have those emotions, yes, they might be real there, they're what's perceived as a negative emotion. Um, I often say there's there's no negative emotion. Only one that's not uh, expressed becomes a negative emotion. Uh, but when people are really feeling this, it often isn't expressed. And I've been in support groups where I'm really aware that people ha uh, have tried so many of these things and their despair and their hopelessness, their failure, their sense of disappointment um, is enormous. I've also been um, in uh, some hospice work where this has been very, very evident and patients will say, wow, I, I'm, I've done everything. I tried everything. I tried so hard. I mustn't have juiced enough. Um, you know, if only I'd have done that meditation course or perhaps looked at that Buddhism or, or, or. Um, and there's a lot of this goes on um, in the latter stages of cancer. And of course, um, it means that when people are searching and really desperately pursuing the cure, 
often the real stuff gets left behind. And by the real stuff, I mean um, the important things in dealing with a life and death issue. So what I see, and um, it's not to take anything away from the striving or the desire to become well again, to restore health and to make all the right moves, but when it's on this other end of the scale, um, the promises of the cancer cure can really take people away from dealing with th these important issues, particularly an impending death. Now, preparation for death for anyone means, actually, in reality, you have more energy available for life. Um, talking about death when we're talking about cures for cancer is almost a no-no and um, people can become quite uncomfortable with it. I remember in the early days of my support groups because I was a co-founder of the first cancer support groups um, that were educative um, and had a, a sort of a, a program attached to it uh, here in Australia and uh, we actually stopped advertising what we would exactly do on the number of weeks on our schedule because we found everyone wanted to know about diet, everyone wanted to know about stress reduction, everyone wanted to know about uh, other things that they could do towards their cancer or helping with partners. And uh, we would have very large groups in those days, sometimes 20 or 30 people. And when we talked about death and dying, we had often two, three, four people turn up. And uh, that hasn't actually shifted a lot since then. And it may have actually, in the cancer consciousness, become uh, even more pronounced. Uh, there's this wanting to move away from death, of course, um, in creating life. But, you know, I know a number of people who were very healthy this year who, who died and who had not prepared for their death. Um, some had heart attacks. Some had uh, car accidents. Um, some people were healthy and, and um, physically, but suicided. So um, they hadn't prepared for their death. And for the people left behind, it's uh, a heck of a mess to often deal with because you're not only dealing with the psychological and emotional and spiritual aspects of that. There's a lot of things and structures in place. If anyone listening has dealt with that, perhaps a, a parent has died and hasn't left a will, um, there's a lot of those things that are really um, a very stressful event for the, the person concerned. I think from my experience, I'd have to say that when cancer patients stop grasping for the cure, deal with the possibility that they may not be successful in finding the cure for them, that they may indeed extend their life, but they may not find the cure. It's, it's not popular press, but it is reality. And we see when patients do this, that they actually do free up more of their energy for living. And uh, I have seen also patients who were moving towards death's door make tapes for their children, make videos for their children, um, do all the necessaries for um, the ongoing support of the person or the people left behind. And for that very act itself to somehow free up 
um, and turn on an immune system. And I have, I have seen this, that people have turned a corner from death's door and started living so much that they decided that um, they might hang around for a little bit longer. So it's very, very complex. Uh, it's a fine line in the sand when we're looking at um, cures, we're looking at survival, recovery, remission, and we're looking at the possibility of death. So in my work, I use a lot of the term called possibility thinking. It's quite healthy and helpful, and it doesn't tie us in to having one belief system or another. It keeps the um, the possibilities open. And uh, one of the, the common sayings that I have with patients uh, is that how about we walk in the field of all possibilities and we see what we can do and that we can attend to life, we can attend to recovery and healing and strategies and, of course, we should also attend in that field of possibilities to looking at death. So that having been said is the introduction for today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. And I'm going to move on in our next session and um, look a little bit uh, at some interesting news, uh, something that's been quite relevant this week in terms of supplements and DNA, but also relevant to our uh, topic today of how to sort the wheat from the chaff, looking at the confusion and uh, the empty promise of Cancer Cures. We are taking a break and we're going to be back really shortly with Navigating the Cancer Maze. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hulvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Hi, 
Kate Grace Gawler here and we're looking at the often empty promise of cancer cures that you find on the internet. Now, in finishing um, this little segment, there's a few tips that I can give to you. We have looked at some of these before on navigating the cancer maze. If you're new to the program, of course, you won't have heard them. And remember that you can um, revisit all of the shows in the navigation pane on the right of this page on Voice America Health and Wellness channel for myself, Navigating the Cancer Maze, Grace Gawler. Um, in looking at the cancer cures, when you are doing an internet search, and there's some fantastic things that you can find on the internet if you know where to look. Um, I use it all day as a point of research. I'm looking at journals. But, you know, even when I'm looking at journals, I go to two or three different places to discover whether information that I'm reading may have a bias or whether other people indeed have researched this and are coming up with a common denominator. So I think that's the first rule of thumb. If you are using the internet, don't just look up cancer cure. Go to the next stage as well. Uh, if you do something like Google AdWords or if you've ever done that, uh, they ask you to put in the negative AdWords as well as the positive ones. And I think there's a really good theory um, in this. So for putting in um, cancer cure, um, and you might see something like cancer cure, sodium bicarbonate, um, cancer cure, graviola, cancer cure, this or that. It's a, it's a good idea then to put in cancer cure, um, graviola, scam, fraud, or whatever, and look at the opposite side. Look what people are saying about this that is not um, very positive because, of course, and it's, um, you know, there's products out there that might be very good products on their own but really have a poor application towards cancer. So if you're looking for the cancer cure, um, using that method of searching the internet can be really very helpful. It can sort out the wheat from the chaff. Um, the other ways, of course, are checking in with a health professional. You can always um, email me. We seem to be getting many hundreds of emails a day here, but uh, we always manage to get back to people with some kind of resource and some kind of direction to follow. You can ask a doctor, you can ask um, a counsellor, if you've got a relationship with a natural therapist, a dietitian, someone who you trust, and uh, bandy these things around. Just do not accept the first thing that comes up on the internet. Oh, yes, um, Mr. Joe Smith had head and neck cancer and took this amazing supplement and therefore was cured. Uh, there are unscrupulous people in the cancer industry. There are genuine people. It's very hard for you to know when you go on the internet um, who is who. So it's not a bad idea to do a little background research on the people who are promoting the product as well as the product itself. You might be very surprised because when I have patients come in to see me, um, they'll often say, oh, have you heard of um, X, Y, and Z, the new treatment for, um, for cancer? I found it on the internet and I want to know your opinion. So uh, I do a lot of research of that type because there are so many things coming onto the internet today uh, for cancer patients. It makes that cancer maze just even more complex and more difficult to negotiate. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misreporting. There's a lot of reporting that also um, just may be taking an each way bet. 
um, down the line. Now, this week there was one such medical report that came out that I would like to share with you. It's it's rather an important report, um, and it's something that I have heard bandied about in some of my scientific circles. It was published in the Sydney Morning Herald here this week, and it was an article on vitamins can harm cancer patients, says scientist. Now, a lot of people might look at this and think, oh, yeah, it's just big pharma again. Um, and look, there is an element of that for sure in some of these things. But how does the cancer patient know? Um, I think when people who are doing some solid science and have a good background, as I said, check out the person. What they're saying just may have some validity. If they don't have a... Um, a financial or competing interest in it too. They may just have something of interest to say. Um, I'd like to um, read some of this article to you because I think it's always important to quote things uh, verbatim sometimes when we're talking about things of importance. Uh, if you look it up on the internet, you can look up vitamins can harm cancer patients, scientists. So it says here that late-stage cancer patients could be thwarting their own treatment by taking multivitamin pills containing antioxidants. The Nobel Prize-winning scientist James Watson has warned. The benefits of supplements containing antioxidants, such as vitamins A, C and E, are the subject of fierce debate. Can't believe it all these years later, but we're still debating that particular topic. Um, while some studies, back to the article now, while some studies suggest that they could offer moderate protection against cancer, Professor Watson, who with Francis Crick discovered the double helix structure of DNA in 1953, which is when I was born, by the way, argues that the pills could be doing more harm than good. So we can presume there's a bit of age about these chaps, given the fact that I am almost, um, I'm 60 this year. So in this paper, he claims that the reason late-stage cancers often become untreatable is that they produce high levels of antioxidants which stop treatments such as chemotherapy and radiotherapy from working. Now, isn't this a radical thought? He says, in healthy people, antioxidants can be helpful because they attack molecules known as free radicals. Yes, we all know that. Um, and we know that free radicals can damage DNA. But many cancer treatments use free radicals to kill tumour cells, meaning that antioxidants could prevent them from doing their job. So uh, Professor Watson says that he uh, believes studies should be carried out to really test this theory further. Um, he describes it as among his most important work since the double helix. So I think that's worthwhile paying some attention to. Um, again, we've talked here on navigating the cancer maze. I'll just move a little bit away from the article now because we've got the gist of it. But uh, we have talked here quite a bit about dose um, and uh, how that many of the the things that we take are dose related. Now I'm as a naturopath and a herbalist, and I've been uh, training in that field since 1979. Do more of the psycho oncology aspect now, but. In uh, that training, we were always taught about using small doses of things, that the body relied, in fact, upon small reactions, small enzyme reactions um, to achieve the best health for a body. So we moved into something called megatherapies. 
um, orthomolecular therapies, a theory um, that more is better. And sometimes more may not be better. And I think this article um, that's quoted here from the Sydney Morning Herald is again really pointing that out. I read another article in Nature this week um, where there was a, a fellow who was a researcher in a cancer ward himself, uh, treating um, cancer patients from time to time with his uh, work. He developed lymphoma and he had a really positive um, outlook towards the treatments he, were going, he was going to have, despite the fact that they were quite toxic. Um, there was a person with the same illness in the ward at the time when he was being treated. And um, he said, you know, I think it was both my positivity, but also the dosage. He had a lower dosage for his treatment than the other person who was a later stage and had to have a higher dosage of pretty similar chemotherapy. Uh, so where chemotherapy is concerned, where vitamins are concerned, when any drugs are concerned, and even in fact where water is concerned, too much of a good thing can literally be that, too much of a good thing, and small amounts can actually be far more effective. This even goes right through into body therapies where we find that the small movements, the small movements towards change, such as in the work of Moshe Feldenkrais um, and the exercises that he put together for people, that it was very small increments of movement that could make a very large change. Um, we've talked on the program before about the Halvan Clinic and, um, and indeed you hear the advertisement for them coming on during the break. Um, the pharmacist who actually uh, runs the hospital uh, is very, very keen on using small doses of micronutrients. So uh, he finds them very effective. And since the hospital has really focused and moved this way, um, patients are actually finding a greater benefit from these tiny amounts of substances. So it's worth taking on board. Um, I don't usually give out on the, um, you know, on a program like this, uh, a supplement that I think is really excellent. But I, I am going to because most people do get a benefit from this particular supplement, particularly cancer patients. And it's something that if you're really struggling for um, for funds to support yourself in your, your cancer uh, treatments, it's um, it's excellent. And it's, it's herbal and it's made from um, crushed up herbs with plasmalized yeast and it's fermented. And uh, it has tiny, tiny micronutrients in, tiny, tiny amounts of um, amino acids, tiny amounts of everything. Its analysis is amazing. And it's formulated in, in Switzerland and it's called Strath, S-T-R-A-T-H. Now, I feel I can safely recommend Strath Tonic across the board to everybody, particularly if you're having radiation therapy. It really does help you through the therapy. It's not a massive antioxidant hit, but it is a small, um, continuous hit. It's um, in the dose rate of five mils, which is a teaspoon, um, and you can have that uh, three times a day 
if you're really ill four times a day, it helps appetite, it helps with blood. It's one of those little tonics that's a, a bit of a secret. I don't get any um, kickback or financial uh, uh, or have financial leanings towards the people who manufacture Strath Tonic. And by the way, in some places it is called BioStrath. But I've used that product on thousands and thousands of patients. I've recommended it for people at a distance who have got weight loss, some cachexia from, from cancer or from cancer therapy uh, side effects, uh, for people who've done vegan diets and are really depleted who've got cancer and it's really helped in their turnaround seems like a humble little thing you can buy it off the shelf it's not hideously expensive um, in Australia it's around about 28 30 dollars for um, a 250 ml bottle but it is something you can use if you're listening today and um, you want to try something that is safe I've never had a, a safety issue in the 14,000 patients that I've worked with. And um, in the veterinary profession, there's a branch of this called Animastrath. And um, I've used that extensively with my own horses, performance horses in the past when I was in that kind of um, arena of uh, hobbies. So um, that's uh, a few tips in this session of navigating the cancer maze. And when we come back after the break... I'm going to talk a little bit about the diets. Um, we're going to look at vegan diets, first of all, and um, then we're going to look at the basics of change and what it means actually in changing your diet um, and how this all goes into the promise of the cancer cure. So we are going to be back shortly with Navigating the Cancer Maze. Grab a cup of tea and come back for some more informative listening. See you soon. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Holvung Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are your as conventional life, as necessary and natural as possible. You're for your personalized your cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back. I hope you've had time to make that cup of tea before we move on with uh, Navigating the Cancer Maze and um, looking at a couple of significant dietary um, issues in the last two segments of today's show. 
Um, as always, my programs tend to be based on the experiences that are coming in the door here um, at the Institute and also my 38 years experience with more than 14,000 cancer patients. So um, in navigating the cancer maze, uh, we've obviously touched on the subject of diet and cancer patients before, but today I want to examine this um, at a fundamental level because it does tie in with our subject of sorting the wheat from the chaff and often empty promises of cancer cures. Now, as I've seen it, as I see it in my practice, I work with three basic statements. First one is very simple. Confucius said, food is the first happiness. Food is the first happiness. So that tells us something about the psychological and emotional impact of food. Um, the second basic statement is that there's no one size fits all when it comes to diet. And this is particularly so in, um, in a cancer patient. The third very important thing, it's not only what you eat, but what you do with what you eat. And uh, that means that you can be eating the best diet in the world, but if you have a malabsorption problem or if you've had uh, uh, treatments and sometimes even overducing, and this might surprise a number of people, I see many people with uh, really blocked up colons, really blocked up small intestines um, who are doing juices and hardly eating any food at all. And that might be very surprising. I have a feeling about this. Uh, I haven't proven it yet, but I think when we're not actually using the gut for what it's intended for, it probably gets a bit lazy and uh, probably loses some tone. And uh, then when people start eating a little bit of food again, it um, probably loses that elasticity enough to actually slow down. Uh, food passing through. But I often uh, say this to patients and they say, oh, how did you know that? I'm saying, well, I'm looking at your scan and I know what you've been eating. I know what you've been drinking. And this is very surprising. So uh, uh, paying attention to those sorts of things can be really important in helping to navigate the maze. So not only what you eat, what you do with what you eat. And that also may include for people who have got uh, gastrointestinal cancers to be sure that you are taking some kind of digestive enzyme. Um, and that is a thing that should be personally prescribed for you. It's good to know that you need it, but I don't think you should uh, self-prescribe. Get advice from uh, your health professional on that one. The other major addition to the three basic statements is that all change has consequence. It's a nasty, another nasty one. It's a bit like death, talking about death. Um, all change has consequence. There's positive impact consequence or there's negative impact consequence. So be as prepared as possible. So when it comes to the consequences of diets in cancer, it's it really complex because food, as we've just said above, has many functions. It relates to pleasure. It actually affects the pleasure centre of the brain, the reward and punishment parts of the brain. We talked um, with uh, Dr Whelan and also on last week's program about endorphins, the feel-good experience that comes from touch. There's a feel-good experience that also comes from food. So if we're turning off that feel-good experience by putting ourselves on a dietary regimen that we really dislike and it changes at the way that we function in our life, you have to really weigh that up and uh, say, is this worth it? Because Confucius was right, food is the first happiness for sure. 
Um, obviously, I'm sitting here uh, talking as someone who really enjoys her food and remembering that I have had removed uh, five feet of large colon and five feet of small colon and uh, living on um, sloppy baby food for a couple of years during all of my surgeries, um, I just couldn't wait to get back to the wonderful, wonderful sensations and pleasures and tastes and textures of good food. Um, of course, there's the addictive part of the brain too that's that's concerned with food. And another thing is that food actually plays a major role, in, of course, in the social and in the cultural life. Um, you know, it's important for our psychological and emotional needs that we're not um, cut out of the mob, so to speak. Um, people who get diagnosed with cancer and do very strict uh, dietary regimens often find that their friends can't cope. They don't get asked to dinner as often. They don't get asked to lunch. They don't go out with the girls for coffee. And this can have a huge, huge impact on um, on your health and your psychological well-being. And, you know, it's interesting. In thinking about the show today, I was thinking, you know, perhaps for the first time in history that people have begun to eat food not only because it can appease their hunger or provide fuel for them to keep going, but people recently have become really hyper-conscious of eating food for other purposes and in some cases not eating much food at all and relying on the things we call health shakes, juices and supplements um, because they want to get healthy. It's quite interesting. People now eat for different reasons. Conversations are often heard, oh, yes, I'm having high fat, a, a high fat diet and someone else says, yes, well, I'm having a low fat diet. Someone else might say, I'm into the high protein I'm into the high starch. There's even diets for cancer patients now, which are vegan and recommending high starch. So the the amount of material that's out there, it's no wonder that cancer patients are confused. Um, some of the reasons, too, that people are um, eating for health is weight loss, there's body sculpting, there's liver cleansing, there's lymph clearing, um, to name but a few. But we're eating now for a different purpose than, say, we did uh, 40 or 50 years ago. Um, and, of course, cancer cure diets have also evolved during that 40 or 50 years and have actually gained a, a good deal of momentum. One of the other things to just mention um, in that group for you is uh, metabolic issues. Now, the best diet in the world may not be absorbed, which we said before, not only what you eat, but what you do with what you eat. Um, so one of those issues that we're going to talk about uh, shortly is gluten intolerance, um, because that is a real metabolic problem where you aren't absorbing and you're creating a lot of inflammation in your body if you do have gluten intolerance. And I've been studying this quite a lot lately because uh, more and more cancer patients are actually showing up with either intolerance to gluten or genetically defined um, celiac disease, uh, which can be tested. But uh, before we do that, I just want to say that for me as a, um, a cancer therapist, it's a real challenge. Um, it's often a real fine line in the sand when it comes to prioritising what could change and what actually needs to change for a cancer patient's emotional and what I'd call psychosocial well-being, their recovery and ultimately their survival. Um, we hear many, many cliches thrown and thrown about uh, 
in support groups and on websites and on videos, lip service, throwaway lines used in books about cancer. One that actually comes to mind at the moment is that cancer is a signpost on life's highway that says, go back, you are going the wrong way. But you read that, who knows? Who really knows what's the right way for you is the question that I pose to you. Um, so when someone actually authors a book about cancer and lifestyle or cancer cure diets, they may in fact have good intentions. However, I do wonder if they've ever thought about the people who are going to read what they're writing. Um, the changes that they're encouraging people to make that are changes that are quite stressful. Stressful for a person who's well, let alone um, a person who's dealing with a life-challenging illness like cancer. So we've said many times again on the show, there's no one-size-fits-all in cancer medicine, and there's certainly no one-size-fits-all in the dietary sense. I thought I'd just share with you the following story because it, it really points out uh, my philosophy uh, working as a cancer therapist and... Um, working nationally, internationally with patients and the, the long history that I have with that. And um, I'll just tell you this little story. In 1994, I authored my first book and it was about emotional recovery in breast cancer. It was called Women of Silence, The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer. I was really troubled um, by writing it, which was a surprise to me. And I read and I reread my manuscript again and again because what I was trying to do was to place myself in the shoes of a patient who might pick up my book and read it and uh, pin a lot of hopes on it. <laughs> so I gave it to friends and I gave it to almost strangers um, to gauge the responses as I was really conscious that my readers were vulnerable cancer patients. They likely take on every word that I wrote literally. By that time, I'd gathered quite a, um, an international profile with my work, and I knew that that profile would give people a sense that I might know what I'm talking about. And um, I think this, uh, you know, such is the responsibility of authors who write on these subjects of life and death issues. Anyway, that's how it is for me. I, I tend to have conscience and uh, I do have a lot of integrity in my work. But, you know, I wouldn't like to think that my ideas and my suggestions could cause more grief and load more stress on someone than the disease itself. So I was offered a contract after um, my book had been a, a, a bestseller. Um, it's still around, by the way, if anyone wants to contact me for that. It's become a little bit of a Bible, so I guess I... Um, I was successful in the way I put it forward, but I was offered um, a contract and an advance um, financial uh, amount to write a diet and cookbook for cancer patients. And I can tell you that was my biggest challenge yet. Um, my publisher at the time was talking about it becoming a bestseller and the success it would follow on from the first book. And I really pained over the manuscript trying to write it. I found everything I, I had written um, before really triggered what I was writing now about diet. Um, I knew that patients were already stressed. I knew that they had various levels of PTSD, dissociative disorders, and that they were already going through a lot of change. And I just didn't want to add more grief to their life. So um, I figured I'd heard too many stories about patients feeling failures in their dying months or week because their focus had been on a cancer cure um, diet and lifestyle. 
So because I'd been so intimately involved with the patients, uh, somehow my soul was just not okay with writing such a book. And I just couldn't publish it. Um, so uh, 1997, 1998, there it sat. Um, it's actually three quarters completed and it's still sitting in a storage box. In fact, I'm not even sure where it is. Um, and it was actually around that time I decided as a naturopath and as a herbalist that my emphasis would shift and that I'd really try to focus on those psychological and emotional and soul needs of cancer patients rather than promoting the diets which I know can create so much stress. We are coming up for another break, um, Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Gawler. We're going to come back and talk about gluten and veganism in cancer patients. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Nestled in the heart of Germany's Black Forest is a very special clinic where breakthrough cancer medicine is offered to cancer patients around the world. Hulvang Private Oncology Clinic is one of the leading establishments in biological cancer therapy. The clinic offers personalized cancer medicine, including genetic testing for detecting and applying targeted treatments. The clinic's ethic is to deliver treatments that are as conventional as necessary and natural as possible. For your personalized cancer treatment, please contact the clinic via their website at www.hullvang-clinic.com. That's H-A-L-L-W-A-N-G-clinic.com. Or call us in Germany at 490-7443-964240. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Grace Gawler here and we're back for our last segment of the show today. We're going to be talking about um, gluten-free diets. We're talking about the very aspect of change itself and we're going to have a little look at veganism as well. So um, in talking about cancer diagnosis, of course, there's so many changes and adaptations on a patient's level of being. We know that change in itself is a stressor. So if you go to change a diet, it's a really big impact. Um, when we looked at the reasons why earlier in the show today, and that too much change, in fact, during particularly a short period of time, can result in maladaptive disorders, and that can become a stress itself and can be a cause of disease, or can actually cause um, things to get worse as you get very stressed about the changes that you're making. So I think we need to be very careful. Um, in changes that we recommend as cancer therapists. You need to be very careful. This is your part of it. You need to be very careful as cancer patients to be very careful about the choices that you're making and are you being stressed out by those choices. 
Uh, quite often with cancer patients, um, I recommend that there's a questionnaire that they can do to actually see how they're going in terms of changes uh, in their life. And it is found on the internet again. So here's another good thing for the internet. It's actually um, it's a questionnaire and it's called the Homes and Ray Life Event Scale. It's also known as a Social Readjustment Rating Scale. And um, these guys created this as an attempt to measure life changes and their impact on people. And uh, very often when someone comes along as a cancer patient and they do this, it's called a test, but it's really a questionnaire. Test has a bad connotation about it with school. But it's a self-evaluating um, questionnaire where you can actually look how stress has impacted you. Um, there's a rating scale, so the events are actually ranked in order from the most stressful, which is death of a spouse, to the least stressful, which is sort of minor violations of the law. Now, the website is um, www.stresstips, that's stress with tips on it, T-I-P-S dot com forward slash life events htm if you just type in stress tips on your google search if you haven't written all of that down you'll find um, that there's a pdf with this scale in it now the test asks you to just check beside um, any of the listed events it goes through divorce marital separation uh, personal injury fired from work redundant at work etc etc and if you're ticking high on the scale of these um, particular things, I think you've got to look very careful, very carefully at the adjustments and the changes that you're going to make in your life as a cancer patient because what you could be doing is actually adding fuel to an already um, highly stressed, um, you know, a, a great way that you're not uh, coping with change. You're only going to make the impact of that even greater by making massive changes and um, this is a real stress factor in changing into any diets. So I do recommend that you try uh, doing that. Um, one of the other things to just mention is if you're suffering from the impact of excessive life change, um, remember that the last thing you might not need to do is to radically change, not only your diet, but radically changing a whole lot of things. Um, I think this is a time for going with the flow and for being gentle with yourself and for doing small increments of change. Again, like those small doses of vitamins, minerals, micronutrients, that the small increments of change might have a far, far bigger impact for you than the large amounts of change that are going to cause stress. Okay, so in saying that, we're going to look at the vegan diet. Uh, for a few minutes here because veganism is becoming really, really popular and there's people out there, the celebrities and even some famous politicians are now um, going vegan. Now, vegan diets in healthy people um, can be okay for a while. Uh, if you're a cancer patient, I'd really caution you not to go the vegan way. If you've been someone who's lived on a lot of junk food, a lot of processed food, I think a healthy vegetarian diet with fish added is a far better option and uh, maybe some free-range chicken, free-range turkey, those sorts of things than going totally uh, vegan. So uh, we're seeing this, it's almost like a fashion statement. 
Um, people are doing it to lose weight, and yes, you will lose weight, which is one of the problems for cancer patients because if you're losing weight because you have cancer and you add a vegan diet onto it, the theory is, yes, you're going to starve out the cancer. Well, um, most vegans that I see that walk in my door that already have cancer or that are using vegan diets find that the weight loss is a big problem for them. And it often means that if they decide to go into conventional um, medicine, that they actually are too thin to be able to tolerate the treatments. So I see vegans, vegetarians with cancer, athletes, personal trainers, Olympic people. I've had Tour de France bike riders, um, lots of different people with um, all sorts of illnesses who are still doing these kinds of diets. So they're not the panacea for all ills. Um, there's a lot of deficiencies that can come from a vegan diet. You have to particularly watch the thyroid. Um, anemia can be a problem. Uh, calcium uh, metabolism can be a problem. Um, omega feeds, fatty acids, lacking in iron, zinc, uh, are all things that need to be watched. So not my recommendation for cancer patients. And uh, if you are doing vegan diets, I'd really suggest that you do what I suggested before and look up the internet and put in the negative side of people that have experienced vegan diets um, as cancer patients and um, as other patients. And it's not all um, roses that you will find from that experience. Now, in um, just this last segment of the show today, I wanted to talk about the um, gluten-free diet because um, gluten I've seen in many cancer patients actually creates inflammation. And wherever you have inflammation, um, you have a problem with um, cancer. And this is pretty well known. It's, it's been known that bacteria cause inflammation, infections, um, viruses can cause inflammation. Inflammation is really big in the causative walkway of cancer. So um, I think the uh, gluten-free diet is uh, a really important diet if you think that you may be gluten intolerant. Now, you have to be sure that if you've got any of the symptoms of gluten intolerance, which are bloating, nausea, diarrhea, intermittent constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel, lots of infections, candida, malabsorption, um, osteoporosis is in there too, um, headaches and migraines, eczema, dermatitis, tiredness, really bad tiredness and lack of motivation, depression and infertility. So that's quite a list. And um, it can be that those symptoms are also the symptoms of our most, let's call it our most silent cancer, and that is ovarian cancer. So it's really important if you think you might be gluten intolerant, do get checked out to make sure. Um, we talk a lot about diagnosis and biopsies on this show, but do be sure that you do get checked out before you embark on a gluten-free diet. We know there's a reason now um, for a gluten-free diet. Gluten, actually, the word means glue. It's the stuff that makes bread dough sticky. It makes uh, helps the elasticity. It makes the bread dough rise. Um, and it does now, we know, have a definite interaction, gluten, um, in the T cells of the immune system. And it's been a point of contention in medical circles for years, but we now know that there are some individuals who are intolerant, who are not celiac, and there are people who are definitely celiac. So I think um, it's, it's gained a whole lot of um, credibility, shall we say, since this research was done last year. And apparently about half the population is susceptible genetically to celiac disease because of the certain genetic things that they, we carry. Um, 
it does make your diet very limiting. You need to be aware that gluten is in imitation meats. For those of you out there who are doing mock duck or mock chicken or mock beef, um, and it's also in other foods like soy sauce and beer. And uh, there's an excellent book that I must, must recommend to you. Um, and it's called uh, Jump Start, Your Gluten-Free Diet, Living with Celiac, Celiac Disease and Gluten Intolerance. It's free. It's on the internet. It's from the University of Chicago. And uh, you can download it for free. So... Um, I think it's worthwhile exploring the gluten-free diet if you are a person dealing with cancer and you're listening today. There's some very good reasons for it. And I've seen people's um, treatments, their, their chemo, everything improve because they've actually found out that they have this problem. I'm going to finish with a little piece from the original of the Serenity Prayer, which really relates to today's program. And it says, God, give me the grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Thank you for listening today and I hope you found this information helpful. We will be back with Navigating the Cancer Maze next week with some interesting guests. We'll be looking at uh, techniques in palliative care and uh, talking a little bit about the dying issue and how people can uh, prepare for that with somebody who's an expert in that field. So I've given you a little hint and I hope it doesn't put you off for coming back next week and uh, talking about this very important subject in navigating the cancer maze. Have a wonderful week. Bye for now. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.